How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I am Jake. And you're listening to the Cinema Side Show podcast, episode 122. It is kind of ludicrous. I was listening back to episode 20 yes. the other day, because I think I was telling someone about the time we we uh, falsified a guest appearance by putting mm-hmm. little sound bites into the Bottle Rocket episode. <laughs> and I remember us sort of... Bragging, Are we talking about bragging? Uh, we Ghost talking... of James Past, are we? Exactly, yeah. But it was like, the start of that episode, I was being like, wow, we've done 20 episodes. I'm sure Mr. Like... Norton will eventually make an appearance on this show. Eventually. Um, it's only been two and a half years. I put there's money still, on it. We, chance. French Dispatch, that's the one he'll be on for. Oh. You, you say Wait. Wes Anderson three times and he'll appear. <laughs> I wonder when that's coming out. I still don't know. I think it's actually meant to premiere at Cannes this year. Oh, sweet. In July. So I think we'd be looking to see an end-of-year release date here in Australia, Mm, hopefully. Hopefully. Well, Zeke, the time has come. We are officially out of quotes. We are. From episodes, I think, 81 or 82 through to last week. That's 40 episodes. Yeah, no, we did it for for a decent while. Mm. So we're looking for a new kind of intro activity yeah, yeah exactly Probably something, something describing fun. it now i was going to suggest something we got that 1000 or 1100 films you must watch before you die or it says um movies to watch at least once in your lifetime i read that without my glasses on i'm very happy with myself good stuff thank you and it does have films dating back to 1922 in every year i had a couple of ideas but there's also one you brought up a minute ago yeah i want to i want to touch into the ideas i have were either we could look at that poster and see like oh episode 122 let's look at 1922 what films are on there and what 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 title intrigues or we could pick the film of the week this week in in the case of today sing street the john carney film and see if it's on that poster or we could guess whether it's on that poster or not or the idea you were just mentioning to me off the show of doing trivia on the film of the week yeah and i like the idea of us presenting one fact to each other Mm -hmm. so a total of Two facts. So you get twice as much... Twice uh, as much information. (laughs) I mean, uh, I like a lot of these ideas. So if anyone has an idea too and they want to hit us up, I'm Mm. sure you can contact us on our Instagram handles. Uh, We got a lot of love from our poll this week, but I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. Yeah, it was Um, was crazy poll. It was. It was the highest vote count we've ever had on a poll. Absolutely. um, But yeah, no... um, I like the, the fun trivia fact. I like the idea, maybe even tying the two ideas together. Maybe. Well, yeah, you know what? We could. Maybe presenting a fun film fact about, you know, uh, the starting with the first film. That's um... 1,100 episodes worth of, uh, <laughs> really of films is. on there. Yeah, um, yeah, that's true. Maybe, maybe we should make it our mission mm. with the 1,100 films up there to watch the film like Uh, well there are several films from each year like some have more than others but you know like 1920 there's at least like four or five films on there for example but i like the idea of maybe watching at least one from From, that year from 1922 yeah well like like, no well like i mean it could be but it could also be fun i mean like next week we could try and watch a 1923 film Mm. the only problem is we can't really look at the let me put my glasses on because I can read the big text at the top, but I can't read all the tiny little text of the films. Yeah, no, that's not going to help either. That's a lot. Um, there's a lot there. And the problem is we can't really mm. get up and like look at it proper without moving away I from think, the microphones. I, I mean, there's, I definitely think that 
you know, this is something we might need to look at in the future because I'm definitely in terms of inspiration for future mm. episodes to come, we could do a fun film fact about the uh, the film of the week. I think that that yeah. that's a pretty pretty grand one if you're up for that. Yeah, of course, and I'm I'm sure it would be pretty easy. It's yeah. a, you know it's actually good because sometimes. You know, we uh, I write my notes for the films we watch, and sometimes, like, I write the notes of how I'm feeling, what the film does, but I kind of forget to look up the behind the scenes context. So, only some films I know what it was like to make it, other films I don't. So, that will force me to be better with that to find some trivia on exactly the film. So, maybe that's something to look into. Well, I'm up for that one. Mm, cool. Well, Zeke, this past week, what have you been watching? So I've actually had a, you know, we talked a little bit even at the the, the um, start of the show about Wes Anderson. Mm. I finally yeah. wrapped up my Wes Anderson directing catalogue. Oh wow! I guess very nice. Um, with his with watching uh, rewatch revisiting Grand Budapest Hotel. And... Yeah, you know what I was gonna say because you rated it on Letterbox. Yes. I was like, wait, have you... Don't, 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 you've seen it before. Uh, what? Yes. Okay. The only one I didn't okay. see up until this point was the 1998 film Rushmore. Um, um, what did you think of for, Rushmore? For everyone's information, I think all of his films are available on Star in Disney+. Plus. So oh, sweet. It's pretty crazy. Um, I loved it. Mm. Uh, I, I don't think I've disliked a single one of his films. I think if I looked at the... the eight or nine films he's done hmm. I think the lowest score I've given is three and a half so okay it's pretty good um, filmography all in all yeah um, it was very entertaining I love his style um, this film made me laugh a lot actually this one I found incredibly funny so um, definitely a recommendation I know mm. this film was one of the it was really the film that kind of put started putting him on the map Right, um, definitely more than Bottle Rocket, yeah. which was sort of... And you could definitely... This one, you can clearly okay. see his blueprint now. Yeah, it that's what's kind of hashed out. Bottle Rocket, definitely. And we talked about it, of course, in episode 20, but um, in terms of his style, there were little hints of it, of course, the way he would cut to inserts, but overall, like, the, the symmetry of the cinematography, like, that just, frankly, wasn't there. Yeah. Um, which is fine, because I've rewatched Bottle Rocket since that episode, and I liked it a lot more. Um, not that I didn't like it in the first place, but I'm glad that Rushmore sort of does that hint. I'm looking at this. The only ones I haven't seen of his, um, I haven't seen the Royal Tender Bombs yet, and uh, what is it? The Darjeeling Limited. The, the Darjeeling Limited. The Darjeeling. Yeah, I only watched that one okay. this year too. So, um, but I've seen his others. I think his animated films are still his best ones. Oh yeah, but um. Great director. No, um, so that's the first, uh, that was the major films outside of the film of the week that sort of tie in mm. to that conversation. I watched one other film uh, with Ethan Hawke, but I know you oh. went on a little bit of an Ethan Hawke tear this week, so I'm <laughs> going to throw it over to you. I have too. So um, I know I made a promise last week to watch more films from the 2010 sort of decade to celebrate our decade countdown. Um, I didn't end up doing that. I didn't end up catching uh, the Florida Project or Ex Machina or any of that. But I did watch a certain trilogy that does technically wrap in the 2010s. That it does. 2013 release. So I still think I did okay. I finally watched the Before trilogy. So 1995 through to 2013, you got Before Sunrise. So jealous. jealous. (laughs) Before Sunset and Before Midnight. And um, one of your favorite directors, Richard Linklater. Yes. 
and Patton, um, director's corner pending. Yeah, it I still really, is. really don't know what film I want to do for his director's corner too. Having not seen Days and Confused, that might still be the go-to one. But Days and Confused might get because um, the you know that's that you know we might be talking about Days and Confused in a couple of weeks though. Oh, that's right. If it gets look, up, look at that. Look at that. Yeah, because um, that being said, though, I think Perfect Sun Sunrise. I have to like think about it actively. Perfect, I probably would throw sunrise. them before trilogy. Yeah, I'd pick probably before Sunrise, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it's definitely a brilliant film in terms of like his early directorial style shining and and this whole trilogy. This was my takeaway because I think the trilogy is incredible. It's really excellent. And you may have noticed I gave them all the exact same score. And I did... Some of them I had to think about it because, you know, usually you love the first one then maybe a trilogy sort of fizzles out in quality. You know, I'm very much the... I think Back to the Future goes one, then two, then three. I know you don't feel that way. Mm. Um, But for me, a lot of trilogies are like that. This one is so... Like, you need... Because I did watch them all pretty close. I watched um, Sunset and Midnight, like, back-to-back. I was up at 3 in the morning because I was just so in love with the characters. I was like, I need to see... The the cliffhanger in the second one is, like... I was screaming. I was like, are you kidding me? (laughs) I just had to watch the third one. And I don't even think there's, like, a 10-year hiatus between the two Yeah, they each have a nine-year gap. Um between which is ludicrous i can't it's so deliberate uh because now you're getting these characters in their 20s their 30s and their 40s and you're really splitting it but this is the thing as much as i loved the first one and i you know i watched uh sunset and i was like okay you know it's it's not doing things that the first one did um for example the first one has great sort of environmental gelling and blending Mm -hmm. where you know as the characters are walking around vienna the, the, the streets uh, come to life in the night and, you know, there's lights and there's mm. lots of life on the streets and there's street performers and, and, like, homeless people interacting with the two characters and there's a lot of life to it while Sunset doesn't have it. It replaces that with, like, the warm uh, streets of, I think it was Paris and that all of the surrounding characters, they're just going about their day. But the thing is, like, that's an intentional choice. There is a clear reason why that is and it's to sort of reflect the relationship and where that is at the time and the more i think about each individual installment i'm like the 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 trilogy is so important as a whole Mm. and it it is shocking to me that they didn't plan it to be a trilogy from the beginning that they just made each film separate from each other and it is a real love letter between you know richard linklater ethan hawke and julie delphi sort of those three are like the helms and the, and the the two latter they actually start uh, co-writing that you get more involved in the writing uh, as the trilogy goes on and you can tell because this their performances they just get better each and every time and there's more to work with because they become older and more wiser characters but even the writing and again this is an intentional choice because i think the first one the writing is sort of non-sequential and very loose and i think that's representative of them just being these young 20 somethings i mean i'm the same age as, as them in the first film that we both are because they're 23 Oof. and you know by the time i get to midnight I'm, I'm relating to it less because they're so far they're 18 years in terms of age removed yeah, they're in now their 40s now yeah from from my experience um but i can still appreciate like how well written it is and and mm. that that's where they are and their relationship there and can we talk a bit about uh, mm. the collection in which you watch? Yeah, so my mate Stephen Clark, we've had on the show mm-hmm. not that long ago, on episode yes. 115, 
uh, lent me the Criterion Collection, and that was one of the Region A only, so I had to get my multi-region Blu-ray player out for it. But it is one yeah. of the prettiest boxes. Oh, it's gorgeous! Oh, he's already got it back. It's got like the. <laughs> it's got like a watercolor sort of effect yeah. on it. It's... And you know what's cool? The little essay that they have in it. I actually noticed it has the um the color tone actually slightly shifts from page to page. Really? <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, it does the unsheltered thing <laughs> where it's the like... tone just changes ever so slightly. Um, but yeah, like I said, like you can sort of pick it like, oh, this film does this differently than this one. Um, the third one, tonally, it feels more like, you know, the Little White Lies series. I mean, I've only seen the second one, but that's Mm. the tone I got. It feels more like Marriage Story. I feel like it does Marriage Story better than Marriage Story does in certain scenes. But, um, the the, the whole, like I said, the whole trilogy just got, you have to watch them back to back to back. And that's why I think it's shocking that even though Sunrise technically works as its own film, it is nowhere near as strong as the as the whole the 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 yeah. individual parts is not as strong as the the whole pie, so to speak, and um, they're just incredible characters and and I love them I love them so much and it's hard it's hard because when I went from each film I didn't want to spoil it for myself I would like purposely mute the menus so I didn't hear any like dialogue anyone to hear because. Each entry ends on such a vague note mm. where you don't know where the relationship is going from that point on. They're such in-the-moment films. The second one is literally a real-time 80-minute film takes place in an 80-minute chunk. Like, it's very, really dedicated to that real-timeness. But all three of them have an element of that where it all takes place in a day. So you're getting these little windows into their relationship, but then you have to fill in the gaps yourself mm-hmm. between the nine years. So when I'll jump to the next film... I was so careful not to spoil it for myself. You know, it's like when we saw Rise of Skywalker, I had my hands in my ears yeah. <laughs> the entire night before we walked in the theater. Um, so I, I definitely don't want to spoil anything for you in terms yeah, of. Yeah, I, I will be out. pushing to try and watch it somehow, some way. Yeah, we'll, we'll make it happen. We'll find it. <laughs> but yeah, Ethan Hawke, what a legend. Yeah, well, speaking of Ethan Hawke, the other film I caught this week was Predestination, Ooh. which was actually. Um, a screen Queensland production. Oh, interesting. Um, so that's obviously an Australian production. Um, yeah, this was a really, really good sci-fi film. Hmm. Um, sort of discussing the paradoxical nature of time travel. It's very hard to explain in a short discussion. Right. Fair but enough. <laughs> if you like your sort of Nolan mind mind f movies that are actually coherent so his earlier memento not not tenet (laughs) so the stuff that yeah warps your brain but it it all makes sense um there's a line in the movie uh, 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 a snake eating its own tail and that's probably the best uh allegory for Mm. the film um it's really good it's an amazing um relatively uh you know modest budget and great ethan hawk performance and mm. um i have to um jump in and say also a great performance by uh let's see how it goes here looking at Acacia, sarah schnook yes she was fantastic um i really and noah taylor this is an interesting one because this is uh, directed by two uh, michael and peter spearig 
And yeah, they're brothers. They must be brothers. Um, mm. And I have not heard of any of the other films that they have done. Um, Jigsaw looks familiar. Is this is this a Jigsaw Jigsaw film? I would assume. No. Oh, no. It looks like a random horror film. So, but a really, really strong sci-fi film. If you are in the mood for a, a, you know, obviously, you know, tying back with sort of the modules of learning I've been like conducting in, in teaching and stuff. It, mm. We've been focusing a lot on sci-fi genre, so I've definitely been watching a lot more. Obviously, it did Stowaway the week before. Um, but yeah, really, really good. You know, he's a great actor. He's an oh, actor. He's, he's great, yeah. Maybe we should start doing an acting corner. <laughs> the actors hub oh yeah well that that's me i haven't seen predestination but just like the naturalism he brings to the before trilogy is cool. like yeah he, he he's knows what cool. he's doing <laughs> it's like in boyhood he's just a cool dad yeah yeah he really likes the experimentation because you're right he's in boyhood and before trilogy he's clearly so. got a good relationship with Linklater. yeah oh you can imagine yeah just success after success them two working together i guess yeah absolutely um yeah, yeah. and that's the other thing do you, do you catch anything else no that that was it unfortunately that was all i had time to watch the before trilogy but i'm very i'm mm. very happy that i watched it all and smashed it out and well i also revisited once and begin again but we'll touch that on with the film of the week conversation a bit of course, more. course yeah um now yes. it's interesting because i mentioned unsheltered earlier in terms of for those who don't know i was referring to the fact that that's a a short docker you made in which the color grade is slowly and ever changing yes throughout the film but um in terms of career up- updates you you messaged me something really interesting this week yeah so we got an email earlier in the week mm. um i'm gonna get this up because it's uh i'm gonna forget the name of the the the, the thing um, <laughs> let's see there we go you gotta show your appreciation Z. <laughs> cool um so i got an email notification from uh flicks docu uh, film festival mm. um so uh which is a uh netherlands so that's a dutch film festival um in Groningen. i'm gonna uh, mm. anyway um it's a student <laughs> yeah it's a film festival and unsheltered unsheltered got in so nice. that was pretty that's now what the third film production that's gone to a festival now so that's pretty cool there you go between cradle unsheltered and uh Pretender got in. Pretender one. one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, it's kind of funny because it's like we're literally in one of the other classes we're teaching mm. the kids about documentary and actually played it for the class after we found out. And oh, that was sweet. Pretty funny. Oh, were you in class when you got the email? Uh, I was. I was on. A, oh, yeah. I was at school. Okay. Um, but yeah. So we actually are going to play it for the year 11s and 12s for their stimulus material, um, for their exams. Mm. Um. And it's a really good film to use for them because this is kind of this is all career stuff actually. Um, it's just funny. I don't normally have career stuff. Um, I ties... think you've had more career stuff than me in the last like three weeks. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> that's very rare. Um, but it's funny because it's a really good documentary to show them because a good portion of it, nearly probably half of it, was shot on a mobile phone. Right. Yeah. Um, interesting. So, because of the parameters, because the Unsheltered is about uh, the youth homelessness and the homelessness problem that Australia faces, and the fact that um, it all started with me seeing a statistic that 42% of the homeless people in in Australia are under the age of 25, mm. and of course at the time, this was 20, what, 20, when was it, Jake, 2018? 2018. Yeah, 2018, wow. Um, so, Long we ago. were 
2020. Um, yeah. Oh, I think... 2021. Was it, it was, if it was the later side of the year, we were both turning 21. But yeah. yeah um, like early. So we were in that age bracket. Yeah, we're in that, and we're still in that age bracket. But yeah, yeah. it's... Um, and that's what sort of led to... And we obviously did it for a documentary unit we were doing. Mm. Um, you did yours on dyslexia. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, I ended up doing a lot of that stuff because of the parameters of the documentary, it, it didn't make... We tried... We had one night where we went out... We were a crew of three. And we went out and it was less successful, I found, because we were just a more imposing group, you know? Like, because right, it was okay. three of us. So I very much got to the point where I was like, you know, for the formal interviews, it's great having the whole crew there because that sort of stuff is very easy. You know, it's very professional. So we had yeah. like a psychologist and a head of street chaplains and that's when we had multiple people but yeah you can you can get you know them mic'd up and everything yeah do the whole Whereas process a, a lot of you know obviously you can't go in chatting to someone who's you know homeless um with a giant boom mic and a big camera it's just yeah. it does it's not realistic so a lot of that was just inbuilt audio with the microphone on the camera um and it was just my phone mm. which Looking back on it, I still watched. I watched it when I was watching it the other day. I was like, "Wow, I know a lot of this is coming from my f- my phone." Right, and it just shows how far phones have come because it still looks really good. Yeah, it matches really well with um, the other footage. And that wasn't my current phone. That was a, a one that's a couple of years. I mean, it's the Huawei, the Huawei P10, which the cameras on that. What that, that, the that. world phone are you buying? <laughs> I've never heard of that. It, oh, it's the wow, yeah, wee, yeah. The, their their cameras are insane on it. Okay. Like, I got the Pixel because Pixel's got a really good camera too. Yeah, because I'm like that. Like I like when I buy a phone, it's like it's got to be a really good camera on the phone because yeah. if I am doing a documentary or even if I want to shoot something just on the spot, I mean, you can yeah. make films with your phones. I mean, uh, and it's just weird to. So it was really great. So it's getting screened. I'm pretty sure on the 27th of May. So that's really nice groovy. Coming up. Um, it was a nice surprise. Um, yeah. You know, it's 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 interesting because it's like to think that that film came out technically. I think it came. I released a, the extended version, which is fourteen and a half minutes. Hmm. Uh, the start of 2019, so it's technically a 2019 release, but it's right. it's, it's weird to look through the catalogue. I mean, like it just came up, uh, Faces is what, like four years old now, three years old now? Uh, yeah, we, well, we shot it over three years ago now. It's crazy. Yeah. Ooh. Actually, well, yeah, uh, mid-May, we're probably uh, we're wrapping it, or like yeah. finishing the edit by now, yeah. three years ago. That's crazy. It's, so. It is pretty crazy to see how time flies with that stuff, and... You know, it's that time of year now, as you know, that it's like the productions are starting to start back up again. Mm. We're um, going through a new wave. And I started looking at a script for one of those productions that's oh, probably going to get greenlit. And I'm very excited about it. But I'll talk to you about that off the show. Oh, a little secret Jake exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's fair enough. I don't have much of a career update per se. We did have a fun little... Um, I was saying off the show that I was hanging out with a few friends uh, yesterday, including Stephen, the aforementioned Stephen, and... Uh, we went on a bit of like a hike thing, and I I just went all out. I brought my Ronin, my GH4, my drone, and just captured the whole thing. It was actually really cool. Nice. And perhaps there'll be a little bit of a montage you would on Clicker Ooh. in the future coming months. And I say months because it's it, unfortunately it's to a schedule, but that's okay. That's how life works. Sometimes. Absolutely. So uh, with that, do we want to jump into the film of the week? Yeah, sure. 
<laughs> no worries. But Jake, what are we watching? I screwed up your segue. It's yes. okay. <laughs> Caught me completely off there. I know. I was like, oh no, because that's usually your line. Yeah. <laughs> this, this week of the show, we're watching Sing Street. So the guy with the car. It's complicated. As long as you're happy. You are truly on a hero's journey. Are you up to that? I think she's just an amazing human being. Think big, Connor. End of term disco at the school hall. I say we ask if we can play it. It's our first gig. It's going to be amazing. I'll try and come. You have to come. Not exactly the Beatles, is it? I actually love this band. <laughs> With the recession hitting people hard in Dublin during the 80s, Connor is moved from his private school to a tough inner-city alternative. As he tries to adjust to a new way of life, he decides to start his own band. Ooh, to impress a girl. Cheeky. Oh, my goodness. To impress a girl. Well, it wasn't in there, but it's clearly the reason he starts okay. the band. No, you're, you're 1,000% right. That actually does belong in there. Um, I mean, there are really several reasons if you want to get into it. This is a film that I first watched on October 24th, 2018. I've got the day, which is ironically when you were shooting Unsheltered, roughly. Wow. Or editing it, whatever stage we're at at that point. Um, yeah, because this is back when I was logging my films before I knew about Letterboxd. I was manually doing it on a Word document because I'm a nerd, Zeke. A big yes, old nerd. Yes, you are. And um, at the time, I thought this was an all right film. It was my first of the John Carney films, and I considered it probably my least favorite of the three. Of course, his unofficial music trilogy I'm talking about with mm-hmm. Once and Begin Again. And uh, I rewatched this last night, and I definitely walked away a lot more positive. I think I took a lot more away from the film. I don't know if it's still... It's definitely... Not, I don't like it more than once, or maybe begin again. I gotta rewatch Begin Again again to mm-hmm. make that decision. But that being said, I think this is easily the best movie. And what I mean by that is as a as a collection of images running at twenty four frames a second, so okay. in case you didn't know how films work. <laughs> um, in terms of the way it's edited, the way it's shot, the performances, I mean that all comes together stronger than any of his other films i okay. still love once more even though it's a very simplistic film but we always give it a pass for you know it's cinematography and stuff which is motivated but i think this film does all of those things i think better i think you've you're right mm. um i think it's interesting with the three because they i obviously revisit all three right i i love all three of the films um I find them very easy to watch, but once has always become the once has just for me has become just sort of an iconic staple, um, and I think it's because I, I think the soundtrack definitely for that film is the best by by a mile. Yes. Um, and but to in defence, mm. I think he has undergone a different direction with Sing Street compared to the other two films, like yes. his. The way that he's, you know, you talk about the collection of moving images. (laughs) This film is definitely the most cinematic, and it's also the most cinematically traditional. Right. Out of the three. Because it is 
what's filmed is not so much this weird sort of observational way of or grunge grunge house style Mm. um that the other two have like i've watched behind the scenes for car you know when carney was directing begin again and when he was um directing once and you know he's there with four or five you know very small crews Mm. His his scripts are very loose. Yes, very loose. This I think is once is certainly script, not a, a loose script. This one, yeah, yeah. Once once I think it was only a forty page script mm. um, for an eighty minute film, which is really goes to show that one a lot of it's about the music. Yeah, and two, you know, he was working with uh, musicians mm. who were, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that because we want to talk about the fun fact of the film of this week. All of the kids were cast due to their musical talent mm. and not their acting ability, oh. which is a common reoccurrence. You can tell. You can tell, I reckon. Um, between... in, in the sense that um, they're all, like, unknowns. Not that they're bad actors by any stretch. Just yeah. that, like, we, they didn't cast um, Freddie Highmore. Well, it's, uh, you know? <laughs> and that's why Begin Again is kind of distinct because it's like, you know, you've got Adam Levine in there who is obviously a very, very popular you know, musician, and then yeah. you've got you know Keira Knightley, and but then you got Mark Ruffalo in there. So it's oh, like yeah. you've got these very staple actors. But I find, in defense of 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 those types of films, they're a different style of film. Um, yeah, like yeah, once has got that very European art house cinema approach, a fly on the wall, observing this. You know, we're observing this relationship. The whole like shooting through coffee windows with mm. no you know polarizer on it so the reflection is very very potent so it feels very close to a documentary yeah um, it's very grand it, it doesn't feel controlled at all and he starts to get it gradually more cinematic with begin again but mm. even then it's like he's there like he gives ruffalo and he gives kira knightley a lot of um acting freedom like a lot of ad-lib they have the ability and it's like having James Corden in there too, who is like pretty renowned for his on the spot thinking. And you can kind of tell cause it's sometimes he makes jokes and you really feel like the actors are actually just laughing cause he's just a funny person. Right. Whereas this film is very regimented. It's the script is actually very, um, everything is in there for a reason. Every character has a drive, a motive, a goal. And it's not about exploring a relationship, um, in terms of, uh, just exploring a single relationship mm. like in begin again it's about exploring the relationship between ruffalo kira knightley and probably adam levine in there too um like their characters in that they, they have like a you know sort of that and then in once obviously it's it's guy and girl so it's very very clear what the, yeah. the whereas this one it's like this there's a whole family dynamic that cole has to deal with yeah well there's a family dynamic there's a dynamic of of the friend group that create the band there is obviously the relationship he has uh mm. with rafina i believe it is but um that see you're right i don't think of that as like them exploring that relationship mm. because it's not that's in service of the fantasy element that this film has where it is about a boy who's you know, stuck with parents who are weighed down by the economical depression that's mm. happening around them in, in 80s Dublin. And then you got the trickle-down effect of the arsehole parents that are making their kids turn into bullies at school who beat kids up. And the film's about the escapism from that, more so than a relationship being built. And I think that's actually a pretty consistent through line between this unofficial music trilogy that Carney mm. is. It's escapism through music. Yes. Um, is the this one is definitely the most direct with that point. Mm. Um, I think 
you know, if you look at Begin Again and you look at Once, it's like both those characters are using music to escape the fact that their lives are spiraling, their relationships have fallen apart, and they're building this new relationship, this kind of unspoken what if relationship. Whereas this one, it's very clearly his really, you know, his aspirations are very clear. It's, yeah. you know, it's a more traditional romance story. But the, the, essentially, the most important thing is, yeah, they're using music to escape themselves. This film actually has a lot more parallels with a film like Almost Famous okay. than it does with the other two music trilogy films. Like, they use, I mean, that's the whole story of a young man going on tour with a band and he gets completely caught in the the the, the spotlight and the music life. And right. Kate Hudson's character, who's always, you know, she's playing um, Penny Lane and it's like she's... You know, she is the definition of someone that's, you know, using music as an escapism. And um, there's definitely quite a few parallels there. But, yeah, that's uh, that's sort of my takeaway from it. Yeah. But this film is definitely more structured compared to the other two. Yeah. Um, I, I think part of that is, like, the script is just on rapid fire mode the entire time. Like the amount of story they get, the band has already been formed like maybe 12, not maybe not 12 minutes, but in the first 15 minutes of the film, like the amount they get through to establish the situation at home where the first scene he's like, he's not using music to shut out the parents arguing. He's actually using the argument as lyrics as he plays. So it's sort of like an embracing of sort of the, the downward uh, situation that's happening around him. And then, even the specificity of like, oh, the, the black shoe policy is like on page, I wrote it on page 142 of our manual. <laughs> so it's like the script is just like all these little details. They're just sort of squeezing it and it works. It works so well because the movie moves so quickly. Oh, yeah. With that um, yeah. that style. I it uh, drives it like it stole it. Uh, um, so, and I, I actually think the other reason that the scripts has to be as regimented as it is, is is because obviously, like I said, at the, the height of this discussion, um, the kids are musicians first, actors second. So yep. having that more regimented one, and they are younger too. So having that, maybe that more structured approach allowed them to kind of, sort of focus a little bit more on, the, on trying to get the story across. But I think this story, um, from a thematic point of view, is probably... Uh, well, it's more focused and it's probably stronger mm. than the other two films, but it's also exploring way more ideas, so it kind of has to be. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, like you said, the, um, the simplicity of Once is so that's what makes it so special is because yeah. it's about the music and it's about the relationship. But here that there's a lot of elements going on. There's a lot. So it kind of has to play yeah. more like a traditional tight the, script. It's the same, narrative it's the same thing with begin again, really. It's, it's the, what both of them are doing. Are they're in lulls of their relationships or their mm. life. And they're using music to get over that period of their life. For Knightley's character, she's using it to get over her relationship with Adam Levine. Ruffalo's using it as a way to, sort of start to take more responsibility and accountability in his life. Mm. Um, but in this one, yeah, this one is very much like we've got to get uh, quite a few family dynamics across too. Um, mm. be- the, so this was the funny one. I Obviously, I watched this years ago and then I watched Midsommar and didn't realise that the older brother, Brendan, mm-hmm. is the same dude as the boyfriend for Midsommar, which... Blew my mind. Brendan, played by Jack Raynor. Mm, he, oh my, he is so good. He in is, Midsommar? 
Well, in both films. Yeah, he's great in this film. He's honestly, he is kind of like the um, real hit wonder of this film because he saw his his breakdown that he has after um, Aidan Gillen's character of, of Robert and um, I believe it's, uh, yeah, like, and Marie, I think Marie are um, his, his the ex-wife. Parents. The parents are splitting up. Yes. And, his breakdown where he feels like he's accountable for a lot of why this why they're in this position right now and mm. how his little brother has had it way easier and you know he's sort of acknowledging he's a bit of a drop kick and it's a really good speech yeah gives. it's a good because it does sort of you're not expecting it because he's the one that's so blase throughout the whole mm. film and the one when the uh, divorce is announced he's the one that gets up and he's like oh thank god finally um, but then you're right, there is that deeper turmoil that he's dealing with and somewhat feeling responsible. And, and you get that sense throughout the whole film because he's the enthusiast. He's the guy who knows, who's very opinionated about mm. what bands what and you know whose music is going to go further than others and what's good and what's not good. And even the way he regurgitates that to um, Cosmo or Connor is like his response to Connor doing a bad song is to stomp on his cassette tape. Yeah. It's such like a drastic thing, but it's almost like that's the inspirational voice that, that Cosmos needs at that point. Yeah, I, I definitely think Cosmo O'Connor really looks up to his older brother and their relationship is actually quite a strong relationship, mm. um, particularly in the sort of the final minutes of the film too. Oh, incredible, yeah. Um, because what it is, is, is it's the... It's it's sort of the same, you know. His brother character very much takes the same role as as guy's dad does or boy's dad in in mm-hmm. once does. It's he sees the potential there, and he's honestly incredibly, you know. It's that it's a really beautiful moment when, um, you know, boy's dad listens to yeah, the, the music guy. and he lo- guy is guy boy. He's not guy. boy. Guy, sorry, <laughs> being my pun. Um, when guy, you know, and listens yeah. to his his track and he loves yeah. it. Um, and it's such a nice scene, but it's the same sort of like um, dynamic mm. that they see the potential to sort of chase the dream. And actually, both films end with the Irish person leaving to the UK to start their dream. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't know if Carney loves Ireland or hates Ireland. Or <laughs> well, th- there's that running theme throughout this whole film that they are in a bit of a you know a quote unquote shithole. Mm. And that, you know, that's reinforced by, like, the school and, like, the, the, the horrible... Sort of impoverished pover- streets that they're in. Yeah, but just the fact... I mean, there's a great moment when they're doing the first music video and um, I forget the kid's name, but, like, the one who's bullying them for the majority uh, of the film and then his father walked past yeah. and, like, oh, it's a couple of kids shooting a video, you know, what a bunch of, you know, a lot of homophobic slurs thrown around in this film, yep. which we'll get... I actually want to get into the rough edges of this film in a minute, but that's a great scene because it's a constant reminder of like the kids who are trying to be artistic and express themselves and, and to have a good time to shut away from the, the, um, what's well, the same the, thing the with dreadness the, of with the, the father, yeah. Father character. Um, well, send, sending him to the, it's not a boarding school, but yeah, sending him to the alternative school, uh, to save a few bucks and they need to save a few bucks. though. it's not like they're being assholes. Mm. The parents need to do this because, you know, they're only getting so much work and they need to support their kids, one of which is a is a dropout who just buys a, a crap ton of vinyls and talks about music the whole time. Like, you totally get the perspective as well. But then the parents or, the, you know, other parents, the adults, make fun of the kids for trying to do that escapism, for trying to make music videos and just to escape for just one second. 
and it really has that trickle down effect. Yeah. It's really sad. Well, it's like the and it's it's interesting that it's like that that island has become kind of this like cold like, and they they very much emphasize like I think they 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 emphasize the blues and those real cool hues because it it feels like a cold place and it feels like a place that's really sapped of creative energy. So mm. when like the sort of imagination sequences happen like in the drive it like you stole it yeah number the the 50s american prom the color just shoots out and um i find that really interesting that yeah that it's not very warm colored film Um, right and the only times you see sort of those more fluorescent warmer colors are when the music video is being shot and it's sort of like that, yeah, it's like that little creative flair in this place that's kind of sapped of energy. Yeah. No, it's it's beautiful. Yeah. Again, to the to the testament, it's like I don't remember once playing with the color grade as much as this film. I, I got to clarify, I still think I love Once More, but this does more with the tools. And there's even the um, humor that I want to talk about. Like I, the... I, I will concede that is definitely the strongest, one of my favorite things about the film. It's funny. It's so funny. And, and it's not just dark there's funny dialogue where um i think it's Eamon who's looking at the post and being like oh we've got to study for our you know our mid our mid semester or our mid exams and yada yada are there gonna be girls there oh okay let's do it then <laughs> like there's little lines like that but then even the way they cut and block certain scenes where rafina's boyfriend like goes to drive off and they pan to okay. him driving you to like yeah. a gate <laughs> and he has to like back up and i think he's trying it. to be smooth but he wasn't smooth. yeah either. or even just like the small little cut of the kids playing downstairs cuts to the mum grabbing a vibrator for like two seconds yeah. and cuts back like just really clever use of comedic timing and yeah it's I, a funny film it's, it's definitely the funniest of the three mm. um which it probably should be the funniest of the three i mean it's still has it really... has to be because everything else is so dire in a way yeah whereas the other films it's like you know they're kind of once for the most part i mean it, it walks really lines of being quite cold and quite there's some mm. serious low points, and when characters hit their low points, it's like you do feel it. But at the same time, there is some warm, wholesome uh, sequences which mm. are quite nice and lovely. Um, whenever they're singing, really, um, and I, I find that's probably one of the most recurring themes is is the amount of storytelling he does through his songs. Yeah, um, throughout all three films is one of the, my things about these films that I just adore. Um, I think once is obviously predominantly driven by the music um i would say that that's the whereas this one has you know actually has quite a few scenes where um the story's plot's being driven through actually the more performances yeah Um, and i think that there's the literal plot uh, propelling of of um cosmo writing songs about the girl that he has the crush on you know and that that driving him but then i think out of the the trilogy i think this is the film with the the most amount of um, scenes where they're actually in the writing process or the developmental progress of making music. I I could be wrong. I mean, you've watched them all more, more recently, but in terms um, of them once, sitting down, once has quite a bit. It has it has, it has some a bit with falling slowly, like they walk through the that part, and then there yeah, are multiple but, uh, lies. I think is written as he's performing it. Yeah, but what, what I'm talking about is scenes where they're literally 
um workshopping know, it they're workshopping it and they're, yeah. they're writing and like oh is this that good yeah that's great all right let's try this yeah. like i don't remember that i like that the i really like that riddle of the model scene where they're like oh, they're dude. discussing the riddle of yeah. the model like it's a really good back and forth and that that's another example like that song is not only propelled by the fact that the character is motivated to write it about the model so to speak but you're right the song itself it, it's telling you what the characters mm. are feeling and it does move the story forward in that way and i actually love that song M- maybe not more but i do love the the um that song's really excellent i have to ask now we're talking about the songs what's your favorite song in the film i don't want to say riddle the model but it might actually be because i know the scene in the prom is so good oh yeah drive it like you stole it. it's easily the best song in it. yeah oh i mean i really like the adam levine number at the end yeah um, that's a really great number yeah like and i know that was deliberately written for the film so oh you could tell um yeah almost like shot for shot it feels like yeah yeah when princess carolyn's driving the radio is like turn around princess carolyn like it's so it's so like that song is this scene so clearly yeah it was um i really like that song too um i would say that's probably but drive it like you stole it it's just such a fun yeah and that sequence i mean not to spoil that's I mean, it's probably a good chance it's going to be one of our highlight scenes right like right right uh, well you you showed me that scene on your phone before i watched sing that was your like jake you got to watch sing street yeah. moment was you showing me that scene on your it's phone it's just an amazing <laughs> sequence and watching aiden gillen dance is so funny <laughs> <laughs> well i even like him trying to direct like the kids who have no idea what back to the future is no idea what 50s swing music is meant to look like or how to dance yeah. to it um, I just found that funny, but even even his little journey as becoming a music director, yeah. uh, music video director rather, is, is so cool because like he builds that confidence by the final performance when he's like printing out all the sheets of um, I got his name here the like the headmaster character, um, God what's his name because it wasn't headmaster it was brother something, God why can't I find it now Yeah I've struggled to find it, but the cut the who played the cast why can't i find him oh well but is it not in my highlight scene no that's really strange why can't i find Uh, brother baxter brother baxter that's it yeah i i I can't even find it i wrote it here somewhere don witcherly Witcherly. yeah he's he's in a few things (laughs) i'm Uh, sorry guys i'm sorry Uh, oh here it is no because i was i wrote a note about how i loved in terms of the the punk rock aesthetic, like the eyeliner era that they all they were wearing, yeah, I was talking about how like he is one of those parental figures or the authority figures, um, brother Bax in brother Bax's office when he has to leave the red shoes behind, and then even just like the the simplicity of playing I fought the law by the Clash just immediately after, and it's like and the law and one, the one. Yeah. and the law one, yeah, yeah. so. It's a great. Yeah. It's this film's a great ode to '80s films. It's a great mm. ode to uh, '80s music. Um, there's definitely we all. They also talk about one thing we haven't quite touched on, which is is really interesting. Is is they talk? They kind of talk about the birth of the music video era. Yeah, um, that, that's the first, one of the first scenes with Brendan. I think when he's explaining the the importance cause, cause of the, the music. Because this film's '81, if I'm uh, '85. '85. So oh, it makes sense. Back to the Future. Um, yeah. <laughs> So, music videos, I think, only just started around 82, 83. Mm. So, this is very early days of, of music videos. So, what they're doing, they're, like, they talk about it, they're in the mu- they're in the futurists, they're into futurist yeah. music. Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting because, you know, it's like the, these kids are making music videos and, and the other two films haven't, they didn't touch on music videos. They touched on, 
I like Carney's exploration into music making mm. in, in different ways. Like music can heal people. It can express people's darkest moments, their most inner thoughts. But from a from a musical apparatus point of view, he's explored it now in three different ways. Like you know, in once we actually see them produce their album in a studio. Yeah. With uh, you know a, a group of misfit bands, which does carry over to to begin again. But begin again, it's a it's makeshift. They're shooting. They're, they're recording these this album in like on location, on location, rooftops and everything. Yeah, which you know, that's cool. And then this one, you know, they're actually they're when they're pushing the music video aspect, and it's really funny that because the other two were set in their modern day environments, yet this one was set back in the eighties. So it's like the videos are like really bad because of the the video quality. But he's chosen to use that. You know, it's sort of like the right. anch- the Anchorman anch- Anchorman effect, like. It's it's funny, it's great, it's a really nice story, but it actually does explore some really cool sort of birth of an era in technology and, and yeah. artistic well, movements. That's what, I think it's interesting you say they're bad because those are classic music videos and it's all about like the in-your-faceness of it and yeah. like, all the sporadic colours and yeah, there's not a lot of consistency to the music videos, but like that's what they were at the time. They were very important to oh, the expression the of the band. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, obviously the... the yeah. But I like that they're exploring that music video aspect. Right, yeah. Like, like that's very much that's it's a cool, like as like I said, there were three different ways of kind of exploring how music making can happen, mm. and they all have their own like respective effects and stuff. And yeah, yeah, I definitely um, this is a really fun film. Oh, it's really great. The one thing I want to touch on, I mentioned the rough edges earlier. Yes. Um, because this is a film from 2016, not that old, that you know does have racial uh so jokes about race there's a scene when um uh what's his name darren is like auditioning um the black kid and does like the oh do you understand what i'm saying like you know it's kind of a comical joke and then uh the sort of the homophobic slurs that are dropped everywhere now i understand why they're in there um i know some people get a little uncomfortable with it and on top of that the um way that rafine is sort of portrayed which i'll get into in a minute um and i i think there are clear distinctions as to why it is portrayed that way because it is sort of showing like i said the trickle down effect in the 80s of these kids um they're taught to act this way yeah i mean when they go to get um the kid to become like the roadie you hear his dad's abusing him in the background it's like it's just such a clear portrait of like this is what they're trying to show and yeah the escapism from that um and then the other thing was i've seen people people's reviews where like oh I can't get into a film about a quote-unquote mediocre white boy who woos the girl, like through punk rock or that kind of thing. And like I said, it is a fantasy film. That's my argument. It's like it is about him winning the girl over. That's what the but film is. But he doesn't really win the girl over in the end. Like the girl chooses to escape with him, but I, I wouldn't call it a romantic escapism, is it? That's absolutely romantic. Yeah. Okay. Of course it is. They're sailing off, sailing off to sea together, just the two of them on their own. Mm. Like that's absolutely romantic, and and look, I, I I don't buy into that thing. I think one of the things the film does that makes people uh, like believe this, and I get it, is that particularly the scene where Rafina disappears, we assume that she's gone to London with her boyfriend. Yeah, and then she, she does come back very quickly. But that whole scene where we as the audience don't really see her struggle with that, not really. We get like a gl- glimpse at her face the last time they're seen before, like when they're riding on the boat, but. 
I mean, it's a very intentional decision. So you stay with uh, Cosmo's thoughts of th- this idea of like, oh, this is a girl that I loved, and I. It's an unrequited decision that she's mm-hmm. made that I'm trying to grapple with, and I totally understand that yeah. feeling, and that's what the film's trying to throw at you. But I think th- because of that decision, we don't see Rafina's decision making all that much. We get we get a little bit, and she does explain herself later. But I mean, that's why some people are. Uh, unable to get into it because they think it's just like oh you know it's a, a young male fantasy story which to be honest is totally fine i mean i i, I think my almost famous parallel uh mm. does actually apply here a little bit okay. because rafina's character is very similar mm. to penny lane and, and kate hudson's character who um she's this enigma mm. and and the younger male who in this case is is connor um, is just fascinated by her allure and her 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 magnetism, basically. And I, to me, it's like you know, rewatching it. It's it's funny that I'm I don't know I don't know if I'm wrong, but I, I at the ending when they're escaping together, I don't mm-hmm. necessarily think that that's um, a romantic situation. I, I think I saw that as sort of mutual escapism. They both want to get away from their lives look they might have a romantic relationship in the in the future but i thought that moment when they're sailing off together is more out of you know we're finally getting out we're going to start a new life together but that doesn't mean um we're going to be together it just means that we you know we're kind of in a correlated Mm. relationship um that's sort of what i got from that it was more about escaping which and i think that really gets nailed home when brendan's like celebrating and he's like yeah because it's more about them getting out and having a try at the dream together and and having a life away from mm. what they think is you know sort of their they think is a trap i think that's why you know the whole like if you don't go now song by adam yeah adam levine is it's really about getting out and searching i think my because i i love that brendan is very celebratory about it. he like has that little shout and He's great because, you know, his little brother was doing what he couldn't do. Yeah, exactly. And it's almost through his own teachings in a way that got him to that it's point where he did. Living, yeah. yeah, where he did, in my opinion, woo the girl that he was writing these songs for and, and is able to escape with her. And my counter to that is she was going to London with the other boyfriend who clearly didn't love her back. So this is an escape with love. I think, and I feel like that, that was what the film was building to the whole time is she is slowly falling in love with him because she has an authentic love for the art of it. And that, you know, that's why she jumps in the pool when they can't, they think can't otherwise. Swim, yeah. Yeah. Cause they're like, Oh, it's not going to work. It's not going to look realistic. So she does that. But through this method and through Cosmo's songs that he's written, she's falling in love with him too. And I think, I don't know if I think of it as they're both escaping just out of convenience. They're sharing a boat mm. together. I, that just completely lessens the impact of the ending for me. Okay. So. <laughs> we can respectfully disagree, I guess, yeah. No, that's it. This show's done. <laughs> <laughs> it's over. It's, uh, uh, I'm still, yeah, I honestly thinking what, what's been the most heated debate we've had on the show, and I can't think of it off the top of my head. Yeah. It's because we haven't done The Last Jedi yeah, that's why. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, all right. You yeah. ready to move into highlights? Let's, let's do it. No worries. What was your highlight scene? My highlight scene, now I picked a very, because the ending's great. 
I feel like I know what yours might be. We've already talked about it a little bit. We'll see. We'll see. But I picked a very specific moment in a very specific scene as my highlight scene. Mm-hmm. Again, to the way the film uses editing to create humor is very early on the montage with Iman playing all the different instruments and like quick cuts between him, you know, playing on the piano and then playing the guitar and the bass and all of that. And these great little like cut, cut, cut. But then I love that there's a moment when Cosmos asks like, okay, so what do you think? And then he's interrupted by a cut of him playing another instrument, which just that little moment of, in terms of the time and space of the sequence, that's not realistic because he didn't immediately teleport to the other thing, but they cut it so that like, he's not being interrupted by being ignored. He's been interrupted by the next step in the instrument. He's not done impressing yeah. uh, Cosmo yet. And it's like just that little clever edit that transcends time and space in that moment in the scene. I thought that was a very clever, really funny edit. So that's my highlight scene. Okay. Mm. Well, my highlight scene is definitely the drive it like you stole it number. <laughs> um, obviously, you know, a couple of years ago, I must have sent that to you. And, and that was my... And it, it is. Because it, what it is, is it's... I was just thinking about it yep. just then. Um, the, the, the family dynamic in particular is incredibly dire for a lot of the film from the very opening um, prologue and the only yes. escapisms Conrad has is with his music his little rebellions with his with his brother and and one of their really not quietly one of the nicer scenes is actually when the two of them are talking about separating and arguing downstairs and all three of the kids because we haven't really talked yes, about uh, the sister. middle child who's a sister who's actually the only one that's kind of academically really pushing for yeah. uh, career success and has no real desire as an architect yep. yeah yeah um and she actually gets in on it's a really nice dancing sequence to sort of like you know you can hear the arguing bear and barely in the background as the music just goes louder and louder every time the voices raise up and it's really yeah. it's a nice scene but the driver like you saw is obviously this utopian uh, depiction of this music video um this 50s theme back to the future uh, ode to back to the future and um, obviously, everything in Connor's head is working out perfectly. Yeah. Um, his brother has got short. He looks clean, and he's yeah. When I saw that, I was like, "Ah, oh, that's his midsummer look," because <laughs> he yeah. doesn't have the accent, the shorter hair, and everything. Yeah, makes yeah. sense. So it just—it's a really nice and it's a groovy song. Like it's, it's <laughs> groovy. Um, groovy man. It's probably not on the same level as eh, probably anything from the Once track. <laughs> um, and I really like Lost Stars. I like really like that Kira Knightley quite a few songs from begin again. Mm. I really like, um, particularly the ones Kira Knightley does. Um, I like Adam Levine's voice, but not all the time. Um, right. So her stuff and that's really good too. So I like the music in this, but you know, eighties music's never really been my, my thing too. Um, that right. genre of that time period is a bit too synthy for me, but, um, yeah, that number is, is fantastic. Yeah, it's a great number. And I love that you talk about how, like, that's what he sees in his head. Because that's literally a line that Brendan says, where he's like, as long as it's in your head, then, mm. you know, you're in terms of reviewing his music videos. Yeah, it's, it's, it, I definitely think this film's, this film's more about dreaming than anything. Um, mm. You know, once is about something that's tactile and something that's clearly presented to us. And it's something that we can, we have felt and we can feel with and begin again is is kind of a bit more of the same of that, whereas this one's definitely about sort of the dream, the exploration mm. of of 
you know, for for a kid. And I think it's the most purest escapist film for out of the three. Yeah, I absolutely agree. No mm. dramas. Well, Sing Street is currently out on Netflix, I'm pretty sure. Uh, uh, actually, it's on Stan. Stan it used to be on Netflix. It was on Netflix for a while. Very sadly. Um, you can also get it on home release Dude, DVD. Netflix has nothing anymore. Um, <laughs> you can also get it on DVD and Blu-ray. And if you really wanted to watch another 2016 film called Sing, which is an animated film, that's on Binge. Don't <laughs> watch that. Oh, I like that film. You want to hear Taron Edgington sing? He's in that one. Yeah, that kind of blew my mind. And he sings. I'm still standing in that in that movie. Oh, really? Yeah. God. I was like, oh, I he wonder where they got that you. idea from. We have to do Rocket Man one week. Yeah. Um, I'm quickly looking up John Carney to see if he's... Uh, I don't know if, what he's doing next. Sing Street was his last film, apparently. So, Or his most recent film. Um, oh, he's working on a romantic comedy anthology series called Modern Love. Lovely. Oh, sorry, it is from 2019. Speaking of streaming platforms and cinemas, Jake, what's new to them? Um, there's a few things on this week. Bit of a bit of a fun week. Coming to Netflix is Army of the Dead, which is actually the latest snack snack. Jesus Christ, Zack Snyder film. This one's not four hours, thank God. And it sees a group of mercenaries attempt to pull off the greatest heist ever attempted. In a quarantine zone during a zombie outbreak in Las Vegas. Sounds wild. Does sound a bit wild. Sounds like something I could, I could get around that. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 not horribly long. As long as it's, I was going to say, if it's under two hours, you've got me. Or oh, just I don't over. think it's under two. Oh, it's under four. Damn it, Snyder. <laughs> it might even be under three, but it's definitely not under two. Uh, coming to stand this week is The Battle of the Sexes, which is, of course, the Steve Carell, uh, Emma Stone film. Coming to Disney Plus this week is a little documentary series of personal stories providing insight into the look of the people and the culture of Pixar's animated studio. I feel like they do this all the time. There's always Pixar behind-the-scenes stuff yeah. on Disney Plus. I don't know. There's anyway. more behind-the-scenes stuff than in front of the camera stuff. <laughs> in terms of the actual movies, exactly. Yeah. Um, also coming to Disney Plus is Bruce Almighty, which is a personal favorite of mine. <gasps> this is a good chance for you to watch it. I know. I've never seen it. Yes, you got to do it. It's so good. I'm uh, seeing Evan. I've seen Evan Almighty, <laughs> but I haven't seen Bruce Almighty. Jesus, he's poor sap. On Prime this week, we have the 2012 version of Red Dawn, Trumbo, which stars Brian Cranston, and brand new I film. I watch Trumbo again. Yeah, it's so good. I love that film. Didn't we do that on the show? We did that on the show, didn't we? Yes, we did. Yeah. We did too. Oof. Episode 41, I think. 40. Man, I completely forgot we did Trumbo. Yeah. <laughs> Great film. That's coming to Prime. Also, the new uh, documentary, Pink, All I Know So Far, which is a behind-the-scenes look at Pink as she balances a family and life on the road, leading to her first Webley sta- uh, Stadium performance. So uh, if you're into these hyper-modernized, uh, in-the-moment music, doco, biopic, whatevers, then there you Negative go. Chief. There's another one for you. Uh, and finally, coming to cinemas, we have Those Who Wish Me Dead. That's actually out right now at Hoyts. So I apologize. I probably should have been on next, next uh, last week's episode. And it sees the witness of a teenage murder find himself pursued by twin assassins in the Montana wilderness with a survival expert talked, uh, talked, I guess tasked, I misspelled that, tasked with protecting him, all the while a raging forest fire threatens to consume them all. So, this film oh, okay. was written by Taylor Sheridan. Oh, sweet! Um, and it's getting bad reviews. Oh, uh, no. So this might be his first misfire, like major misfire. So obviously Taylor Sheridan, we've talked about on the show, wrote Hella High Water, one of my favourite films, mm. probably my favourite film of the last decade. You have honest. said that before, yeah. Um, Probably that or Wind River. I kind of would flip between the two. He also wrote Wind River, 
they're both Sica- excellent uh, yeah. yeah and sicario and he watched obviously the sicario sequel which some people were disappointed with i thought it was still pretty solid this There's film a sicario sequel yeah day of soldado oh there's gonna be a third one interesting too. um or trilogy uh this one actually stars Aiden, it has Aiden Gillen in it actually mm. um, we just talked about with the Sing Street conversation stars Angelina Jolie yep. um, John Bernthal is also in this one. Oh, nice um, probably in another really small role that you wish that he was in a bigger role um, <laughs> I've heard it's a bit of a it's about it's got too much going on in it yeah like when I was reading that logline and I was like oh yeah and the bush fight like I was like man there is a lot yeah because she's a firewatch person like yeah. she's the person that sits in the firewatch tower just play firewatch on playstation i've heard that's really brilliant cool. game it's one of the best dialogue i've ever heard in anything yeah um so uh yeah pretty much um i've heard that it's a bit of a mess so i kind of want to go i actually do want to go see, you said it's a hoitz it's a hoitz yeah. yeah it's running all day it's got tons of session i times. honestly will probably still watch it because mm. the cast is enough to get me in the door and obviously yep. he's given me way more ticks than crosses so um <laughs> ticks and crosses i mean hell yeah. you, the writing in hell high water and wind river and sicario it's just insanely good i can't right. imagine it just sounds like he's trying to do too much possibly yeah Hey, I was just hoping that that was the log line that felt bloated, but if it's the whole film, then that's a shame. Yeah. But that's okay. Um, this Wednesday, the 19th at Luna Leaderville, you can catch I Blame Society special screening, which is a young filmmaker turned into a homicidal killer in the pursuit of making the ultimate documentary. It also has a live virtual Q&A with the star and director Gillian Wallace-Hovat, and we talked about that film last week. We, we got did. a preview screener yeah. to watch it. So go to last week's episode to hear our thoughts. And finally... This is it, Zeke. This is yes. This is it. This is it. COVID, in my mind, is sl- I mean, not in every country, of course, but it feels like the movie industry's effect by COVID is starting to dwindle now. With I'm not joking, this Friday, the 21st at Luna, a preview screening of A Quiet Place Part Two. There we go. It's finally happening. Let's go, everyone, and then a full release the week after. But if you really need to see it, I might, I might do this. I might go on the Friday night. We'll see. Maybe I'll come with you. Yeah, it'll be fun. I've got a $50 voucher at Hoyt's I haven't used at all. Oh, there you go. Oh, this is a lunar screening. Ah, well. Hoyt's might... I mean, we've got our privilege, privilege cards. we got a privilege card. <laughs> oh, no, I have to get a lunar. Oh, no. <laughs> That's it. That's I'll be big... down for that. It was actually a pretty big week. I'm not going to lie. Not yeah. Streaming cinemas. So we're about to move into uh, 2010s for our countdown through the decades. Oh, the, the two... The orties, you mean. The orts, sorry. Yeah, we just yeah. did the 10s. Uh, through the countdown, through the decades retrospective, the second annual um, one. So that's awesome. <laughs> um, this was in mm. the over the two years we've done this. This was the biggest reception we got for our polls. Was it actually? Uh, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, we had the vote. So the film that lost was The Hangover, and it lost forty six to thirty one. So that is a total of seventy seven. Voters. Keep this up, guys. We love seeing this many votes on there. Yeah. Because, like, this was a tough one. I really didn't know which way this was swing. And this week, I got an increase on the, why are you making me choose between these two? Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I'm sorry, but one of them has to be picked. And yeah. it was a battle of comedies because we've never done a comedy on the show. No, exactly. Really. And I feel like these kinds of comedies have really died. I mean, we talked about Booksmart isn't necessarily a straight comedy there's a lot more going on with it yeah, while well, these two films the hangover and the film of the week 
um, R-straight comedies that, you know, along with Superbad, which came out in the year prior to this. Like, it doesn't feel like we get these raunchy comedies anymore. But, Jake, what was the film that beat The Hangover? And what are we watching <laughs> next week on the show? The answer to both those questions, Zeke, is Tropic Thunder. Oh, come on, man. Don't you down, me, Foley! <laughs> I'm sorry, can we cut? <laughs> Jamie, can we cut? What is going on here? I'm about to jump off this, this helicopter like Wesley Snipes. I'm doing the scene right now. What scene? The scene is about emotionality. Where is it? Oh, God. I am dealing with a bunch of prima donnas. The action guy. Who left the fridge open? The award winner. Critically acclaimed Australian actor Kirk Lazarus underwent a controversial procedure in order to play the platoon's African-American sergeant. I know who I am. I'm a dude playing a dude disguised as another dude. The comedian. You think you can do what I do? Take a picture of this. This summer. You want to make this movie right? We take those boys up there and put them in the trees. Shoot the whole thing gorilla style. Real fear in the right. Real Yes! Yes! The movie they think they're making. Exterior. Rainforest. Dust. Cut to a frightening jungle. Isn't a movie anymore. Don't let it make it. Some of us might not make it back. What do you mean? Like, not on the same flight? A group of actors shooting a big budget war movie are forced to become the soldiers they are portraying when they are attacked by a gang of poppy growing local drug dealers. And Zeke, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I cleaned this Ooh. up. I had to clean this uh, write-up up because Google gave me a bloody crap write-up. Really? <laughs> yeah. It said the filmmakers had to portray the characters. I was like, what? You mean the actors? What are you talking about? I'm just a dude playing a dude disguised as another dude. <laughs> Prepare to next week on the show. There will be a lot of me quoting. Oh, no. A lot of quotes. I'm, oh, I'm looking forward to rewatching this. I am so looking forward to rewatching mm. this. This is This film couldn't have come at a better time. Um, I just... Need a good laugh, I think. Yeah. Um, and I, so obviously I know I was the one who nominated uh, this film. Um, I haven't won a single vote yet. Three zero now. <laughs> um, but I will say to my preferential ballot last week, Tropic Thunder did win on both of our respective polls. So yes. it was a clean win this um, week. Okay. Okay. I have a feeling you're going to get up in the nineties. Um, I'd be very surprised if I get up with my nomination for the nineties. Right. Um, um Dude, you never know. You yeah. never know. We'll see how we so go. I'm about it now, yeah. But until then, thank you for joining us for the Cinema Science Show podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jake. And we'll catch you next week with Tropic Thunder.